Shall we go? Shall we get going? Uh, that sounds good. Well. They're a little bit loose, a little bit unstrung, and they've probably had a few beers beforehand. Please welcome Matt Crummins and Tom Fancy Pants Puck with yet another episode of Matt and Tom's Excellent Adventure. Did you like my intro from last week? That was gold. I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. We were like singing along and the next thing you know, the intro music came in over the top of us. It yeah, was that's very it. clever, Matthew. Also, a bit of a coincidence almost that it happened. <laughs> it was, well, we re- hold on. We rehearsed it. We spent well, a lot of time and effort on that. Come on. Yeah, like all other aspects of the podcast. <laughs> like everything we do in this <laughs> That's show. It. Exactly. It's very well rehearsed. There's a lot of time and effort and, mm. and thought that goes into it all. Speaking of which, I've put a lot of thought into today's podcast. By well, the way, you have had five podcast. weeks to think about it because <laughs> I think you've missed almost everyone. I've had like four <laughs> months to think about it. What do you mean? It's in, uh, This is episode number 16, Matthew. That's incredible, How isn't it? Is that? And, of course, we passed the 2,000 downloads off Podbean during the week, Does which that mean you rightly pointed them? out to me. Does that mean that people listen to it or they've just downloaded it? I download <laughs> they don't listen. Crap, but they I don't listen. I've, I've got a software program that just constantly downloads it just so yeah. that we get the counter. That's it. You've you know? got, what is it called? Is it Farmville or is it, no, not the, um? what's the one that they use for Bitcoin? You know, like the, they mine Bitcoin with oh, these right. big server room things. And Really? Have you seen, actually, you know, have you seen the, the, um, the like rooms? Um, you know, when you, if you sign up like Nick Fletcher, there you go, mention number one. <laughs> oh, um, God. Nick, Nick Fletcher, um, when the BFOP, <sighs> BFOP Instagram first started many moons ago, he didn't, yes. obviously, and still doesn't know how to use Instagram. Um, oh and just thought, God, oh, you know what? Fossil, I'll just buy 10,000 followers. No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, he did. And the hilarious oh. thing was most of them, and like, no offense to anyone who fits into this category, it's not meant yes, to be offensive. It's not, just that. No, of course not. But, um, I reckon most of them were Russian circus midgets who do a little <laughs> bit of porn on the side because seriously, they um, most of them like when you open it up, it's, there's a lot of very pornographic type. Thing. We, it, I've deleted them all now. It took me ages, and in fact, oh, yeah, Instagram yeah, no, wouldn't no, let you delete you good, them. You had a good look at them. Well, of course. I mean, I downloaded a few, and you know, just for, just for old times' sake, and so I could tease Nick in the future and stuff. But no, the um, <sighs> but he bought these, and so what they do right is that they've got these rooms, and no joke, it's like an entire wall of iPhones or phones of some sort. I'm sure they're not iPhones, right, but phones right, and stuff right. and iPads. And yeah. they have people who work in there full time just hitting the like button on everything. So they're not automated bots in a lot of cases. You, you can actually get ones where <laughs> it's real. It's, it's actual bot. Like, yeah, it's... it's that is unbelievable. Yeah. So I bots. Do we call them bots I, rather than bots? bots rather than, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can call them bots. Yeah, you look at it. It's incredible. There's little YouTube videos of them and they just sit there just like um, constantly clicking. So, um, is that going in the show notes? Are we going to put in a link to oh, God. those? Yes, to and those some of the, the, the Russian circus midget porn as well. Um, yeah, just for those who are curious as to what I'm talking about. I'm going to have to bring a pen and, and piece of paper to this uh, to these shows from now on in order to be able to write these show notes. I'm going to forget otherwise. That's And that's that's... People are going to rely on me to point them in all the right directions. In fact, Maybe. one of the jobs that I had when I skipped in between my sports photography days and starting my portraiture studio, there was a time where I escaped to um, the corporate world. And I'd never worked in the corporate world before. I actually got a graduate job with 
a consulting firm in town, Deloitte Consulting, and I was part of their change management and leadership group there. And um, in the meantime, I was waiting to get on a project. They put me on this uh, global project that was servicing the Asia Pacific region. And our job was basically to sit there and and search our own intranet, so internal internet, for articles that would help senior consultants win work or, or um, you know, do research for their own purposes, things like that. So wow. I became a bit of a Google slash internet searcher king. You know, it sounds like a thrilling job, mate, I'll be honest. Like, <laughs> we, there was a lot of – this was in the time <clears throat> This was in the time before Facebook. So this is 2002, 2003, and MSN Messenger was big. So Microsoft <laughs> Messenger was huge. And you would sit opposite each other in cubicles and rather than talking to one another, you would just message everybody. That's hilarious. Was, and, and, you know, and, and there'd be all this laughter and, and other people in the office would be looking at you going, right, what's going on? there because they haven't spoken to one another but clearly they're chatting on the msn and i'm surprised they didn't ban it because it was the most unproductive way of working possible because as you said you know it sounds like a thrilling job well we we made it we made it exciting just by being able to entertain ourselves each and every day because literally you know you'd be at work eight nine hours a day and you might get you might get two or three hours worth of work done in that time but the rest of the time you're just sitting there waiting for jobs to crop up so and for anyone who's wondering um tom no longer works in the corporate world and <laughs> you might want to take a red hot guess as to why <laughs> if anyone's wondering what happened with that job i actually got made redundant or the job was made redundant that's the official line you don't get made redundant your job gets made redundant and i survived about five rounds of rounds of redundancies before my lucky number came up oh and, god and when i say lucky I was devastated at the time because I took it very personally. But they were shedding jobs left, right and centre. So kind of like it was like just pulling the plug out of a drain. I just, you know, went down the drain along with plenty of others. So it really That's didn't hilarious. get noticed. Like, I mean, it's not hilarious. But obviously, redundancy is not a hilarious topic. But no, I do feel no, as though that there might be something where every job that you went to, five different jobs they gave you, and then they decided that after you having done them, they're like, yeah, you know what? We probably don't need that. <laughs> No, no, no. It wasn't that I did five different jobs. I did very few jobs. I didn't get put on a lot of projects because there wasn't a lot of work they were winning, hence why they had to let me go. I thought you were being like like, five rounds of redundancies. Like, you know, oh, right, another round of redundancies coming up. Oops, is that going to be me? Oops, uh, no, I thought you okay, meant like, like you, you kind of, they're going, okay, so what sort of, um, you know, do we really get value out of this position or <laughs> is it, you know, or is it something we could probably live without? And, um, and, and they've gone, yeah, look, we're getting three Google searches a day out of a nine-hour yeah. day from this bloke. Maybe, um, yeah. you know what, this yeah. role is probably not suited to the company. We, we, we can let's outsource this. His, let's look at his laptop log and see what he's spending most of the time doing. Oh, look, <laughs> he's spending nine hours a day on MSN Messenger. Oh, God. I Actually, we need to pay this guy like six grand a year to sit on messenger we could actually um this you know i could link this into a photography related topic i know you've got we've, we're going to revisit last week's topic because you got more to say but there's another one that um i just wanted to bring up about this sort of it's not about redundancy but it's definitely about this kind of idea that whether or not you're better off doing something we were talking about lightroom last week we're talking about it again this week but i've yep. been chatting to a few businesses this week so as people reopen one of the services that i do is to go into businesses and help them in source components of their photography 
So, um, in-source you, components. Go on. Yeah. You're speaking gobbledygook. Okay. So I thought you were in the corporate world. No. Um, so <laughs> no, I'm well no, away from that. Fuck all right. That. So so you think about like a um. I know the one that I was working with last week was a yoga studio, right? And they right. bring professional photographers in to do their kind of. I'm going to call them campaign shoots. So shoots that are for like their website, um, new brochures, new products, or like if they're going to do some ads and stuff like that. They bring a pro in for that. But just day to day for their their social media, it's not really viable to have a full time photographer or to have a photographer coming in. You know, especially when things are last minute and stuff. So I go in and train their staff up um, or one of their staff up on how to shoot just their day-to-day shots so that they're not crap, basically. Right. Right. Okay, get it. Um, but one of the things that we we go through quite frequently, especially people who have um, like products, so more of a retail-based kind of business, we look at how they can outsource their image editing so that yep. they can shoot the shots and then they can just send it off and it gets, you know, edited, touched up, clipped and then sent back to them. And it's like a few bucks a photo. Yep. Um, but, of course, when you're a business, if, if it took you half an hour to do that because you don't know what you're doing, um, you know, four bucks for half an hour's productivity is brilliant, brilliant, brilliant much, thing. Much so, better money spent, yeah. Yeah, but have you have you ever dealt with – I know that – like because I actually know a lot of wedding photographers who, who – when I say a lot, it's not actually a lot. It's just, I guess, pr- proportionately how many wedding photographers I know. Um, a good proportion of them have at one point in time outsourced the touching up and maybe yep. the color balancing thing of their wedding photos. Yep. Have you ever done anything like that outsourcing? We have, yeah. Look, I don't do it for my landscape photography because uh, that's a pleasure in itself and there's not really a high volume to do, so to speak, because I shoot a lot of crap pictures. That's I'm just getting in before you do. Um, but um, <laughs> when I owned my portrait studio, Ella and Friends, we were, God, before we had our second child, Ollie, in 2006, it was the first year our business really ramped up and we were taught to work all of the photographs before you showed the client. So we were doing location shoots. We were perhaps showing the client 30, 40 pictures out of that shoot, but we were retouching every single photo, processing, retouching, oh, whatever God. as though it was going to print. So you wanted uh. the photo to look amazing when you showed it to the client and, of course, they may not order any or they might only order one or two and so you're wasting all this time, like literally hours and I bring it back to Ollie because we just moved into this new house and and I was bringing home my iMac computer from the office every day. Like I didn't have a laptop to work on. So I was literally. Is that because back in those days, laptops weren't a thing? Or <laughs> didn't exist? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I just, That's I just it. He had a supercomputer that fit into the back of his lorry truck. Yeah, <laughs> I, I had a Dan Andrews supercomputer, and um, and I would unplug this every day, bring it home in the car, plug it back in at home, sit and work after dinner from seven till midnight, one, two in the morning, retouching these photos for the client the next day. Go to work, maybe do a few shoots in the afternoon show do two or three sales showing them the the photos and then going home and doing the same thing like day after day after day like week after week it almost and sounds like you I had to remember. work at one point in your life <laughs> it's very very hard apparently <laughs> and then w- w- at one point uh rebecca said to me uh the kid's mum said to me i don't think you realize we're having a baby next week and i went no nah. 
Now, I just no concept because I was so busy and so tired that, in fact, Ollie coming along was a blessing in disguise because it gave me a, like a few days off of work that I desperately needed because my eyeballs were falling out of my head, for goodness sake. So it got to the point where we did say, look, enough's enough. And we did outsource it um, to a few labs, like labs were doing it as part uh, of their yeah. service. Like so local we'll stuff, yeah. We'll touch your photos and then we'll print them for you. And, and we had moderate success with it overall. It was oh. difficult to um, – we found it difficult to translate our vision and our style to the retoucher so that they could match that style. So, mm. and, and, you know, sometimes it was done poorly and we'd have to send it back. And course, Did you want to name and shame back. them? Do you want to tell us who these retouchers no, are that no, we should never use? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't remember who it was, to be honest. That was that memorable. I, well, you know, it was a long time ago, Matthew. Mm. It was 15 mm. years ago now, 10, 15 years, and a lot of water's gone under the bridge since then. So yeah. there's no point going over that. But but these days, obviously, it's a dime a dozen, and it's and it's very much commonplace, I guess you'd say. And 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 yeah, and it brings up a good point, a, a good business point, is that if you're spending all that time as a wedding photographer, say, retouching your pictures, when that time could be better spent, you uh, sourcing new work. And mm. because your book is your books aren't full, and you need an extra ten weddings a year, well, surely it's better to pay somebody thirty dollars an hour to retouch your photos uh, and and go out and source some new work. For example, I think generally speaking, us as artists and photographers are very poor at delegating because we're control freaks. But also <laughs> too, also too, we're very poor at sort of saying, well, let's spend thirty dollars. Because my time is better spent doing something yeah. else. You know, like I charge myself out at $100 an hour. So why wouldn't I pay somebody $30 an hour? Because that frees me up to, you know, that differential of $70. And yet a lot of the time people just can't compute that because there's like $30 an hour. How am I going to afford that? Mm. Sometimes it's like, how can you afford not to? Exactly. Well, that was a bit of a anyway, bit of a tangent, but like, yeah, it was I, on our on our on our you know outsourcing I'm, thing. I'm big on I'm big on business. I like I like I, when I, often when I'm talking about business, I'm coaching myself more than anything else, and oh. I'm listening to myself talking, and I'm going, "Yeah, you're saying that, Tom, but you don't actually do it. So get off your ass and do it." Oh, don't go, you hate that when you do that? Okay, I do that no, all I the time. I hate it. I like it. I oh, like really? It. I I actually I'll often. I'll often do phone calls in the car when I'm going up to pick up my kids or traveling somewhere and I'll speak to somebody helping a photographer out, for example, or we're just chewing the fat like you and I do. And I go, yeah, good point. Okay. Yeah, that was a good point I made. Right. And I'll, I'll pull over and I'll write notes and I'll go, right, I'm going to make sure that I implement this when yeah, I right. get back to the office because I don't want to forget it. But also too, I'm, I'm saying stuff, but perhaps I'm not practicing what I'm preaching. So... There you go. Uh, you're, well, you're a better person than I am because I very rarely reflect on myself, and um, <laughs> I just you keep. Got, you haven't got going, my ego. That's why, I just Matt. Keep running like a bullet a gate straight at the brick wall, and then when I hit it, I go, "Oh, geez, that hurt. Let's turn left." <laughs> oh, oh, hold on. There's another wall. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Matt, I've got some exciting news before we get on today's topic because we're oh only 15 minutes in, and that's probably yeah. Let's stretch it out. The topic um, is that. We, we're actually the proud parents yet again to another baby. Right. 
That's like, of what? course we were. I'm just thinking That's how cool. terrifying that sounds after the last five months of my life. <laughs> I know, like, oh my god! Oh what have gosh. you done, Tom? Another one. I thought you already had five kids. I know I'm um, a heavy sleeper, but you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, look, where have you been? I, we, it arrived in the mail yesterday. This this <gasps> baby, and it and it is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen because I'm the father, and uh, I am your father. Something else, Star Wars. And this um, not be super offensive to your actual children, Tom. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, okay, it is. <laughs> yep, it is. It is. Um, no, I love them to death, but um, this is <laughs> but not as much more as, than others, more yeah. than others. <laughs> my latest Mornington Peninsula book arrived. This is the fourteenth oh. book that we've printed, and uh, this is one of the be- better ones. <laughs> I make it sound like the others have been shit. You also make no, it sound like look, it's one of the better ones. It's not great. It's not but the it's, best, but it's mm, one of the better ones. So yeah. do yourself a favor and get your hands on it. No, look, I tell you what I've done. I have actually sat down and gone through this book cover to cover three times now since it arrived. And and, and that doesn't sound amazing other than I'll tell you that every other book that I've done, all 13 of them previous to this one, I have never still to this day sat down and poured over it from cover to cover because I'm – Going. Why? What? I'm no. I'm sorry. I know you're about to say this, but <laughs> why on earth, if you've just produced your own book, do you go? Yes. Oh, you know what? It's so good. I can't be bothered reading it. <laughs> but I, I'm so over it. And, oh. and often when that book arrives from the printers, you kind of like. Mm-hmm. It's like opening a Christmas present. You're terribly excited because you're like, "Wow, what could this possibly be? It yeah, could be okay. awesome." Or. I could be really disappointed because it socks and jocks again. <laughs> so, when I was opening it yesterday, I did a Facebook Live and it was terrible because the microphone I had plugged in didn't work. So I was standing there for eight, nine minutes talking and no one could hear me. But I literally opened it up in front of them. I'll do a, I'll do a mock again today to pretend oh, that cool. I'm opening it again. But um, – it's always daunting. You kind of like, is the color going to be right? Does the cover look any good? Is, you know, where are the mistakes? You're always constantly looking for the one or two percent that's not right, as opposed to the ninety-eight percent that is. But I'm pleased to say that pretty much all of this is um, spot on. They've, the printers have done a brilliant job. Ian Wallace, who does my pre-press, has done an amazing job. So it's a, uh, it's, it's great. It's beautiful. It's lovely. I like it. I think the genre of the photographs have pleased me the most because it's something quite different to what I've ever done before, which is. Ooh aerial stuff but not my traditional aerial abstract work it's more um lifestyle stuff so you know beaches and people's backyards with them sunbaking the sealed section in the middle that's that's it that's the limited <laughs> edition that you have to order online through a secret link <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, i'm very close at all so oh very cool and so i'm presuming people can buy this on your website they can yeah 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 it's uh tomputt.com and you'll see it on the homepage there you can link through to the order form there so if you'd like a copy let me know yeah on the morning, Peninsula, the morning to Peninsula summer edition, and it's it was shot over four weeks last summer here on the peninsula between sort of Christmas and Australia Day long weekend, and it was uh, a, a bit of a, a divergence from my um, last book that is the sort of uh, is the prequel to this one because I felt that there were a lot of 
images in that last book, although it was good, it had a lot of darker pictures. A lot of them were taken first thing in the morning, oh, you know, pre-sunrise, post-sunset. So they were very moody. Yeah, yeah, too dark. And so this time around I went, right, I'm going to shoot, you know, bright, happy pictures, middle of the day, you know, all those traditional times that you probably shouldn't shoot landscape photos. But the theme of this book was people enjoying the beaches here on the peninsula during summer. So it made sense to shoot at those, you know, less traditional landscape times in order to capture that. So That sounds like a pretty good little uh, Christmas stocking stuffer. It sure is, Matthew. If you live here in Melbourne or you love the Mornington Peninsula, it's a good filler. And are you going to divulge how much this book might set you back or is this something that you have to go to the website and find out? Well, well, I'm kind of – well, it's funny you mention that because I'm kind of hesitant to say that now because – Is that <laughs> – No, no, no. <laughs> Look, I think it's a very good value. It has over 220 pages. That's it's a ton of pages. Printed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's huge. It's got over 100 pictures in it and I think it's got a huge variety of photos in it. Like as I'm pouring through it, I'm like, wow, this is great and I'm only halfway through. And I'm not saying in terms of like, oh, I'm, I'm a legend, aren't I a great photographer? It's more like – I think it's a visual feast. Let's call it that. So you were saying, so, you're saying it's a 200 page book, but yep. you said it's got a hundred over a hundred photos. So yep. what's on the other pages, <laughs> Matthew? Or is it double spread? Double spread. Page, and most of it is double page spread. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, come on. I haven't made a book. I'm not as clever as you. Jeez. I'm asking <laughs> for the people here. You just need a little bit of expert guidance and inspiration. Well, or the, yeah. You have to have it, a. Vision, Matt. That's what you need to do. That's what oh, you need. I like all three of those things you just mentioned. So <laughs> this is why I'm asking, and I'm asking for the people. You know. So there you go. Double yeah, yeah, spread. Yeah. Double spread. Double page spread. Double page spreads, which means that obviously the majority of the photographs are landscape, you know, orientation, um, with a fold in the middle, which you have to be really careful of. That's the gutter in the middle mm-hmm. of the book. So when you open it, you can actually see what's in the gutter. You, you don't, don't want, want your photos on. to get down the gutter. You don't. Most of them deserve to, but um, it's $70, Matthew, and I think that's a great um, – I think that's, that's good value, absolutely. You, you know, sound uh, like you, you're a bit hesitant on that one. I don't think that's a bad uh, – that's not, a, that's a, that's not a, a bad price at all, I wouldn't have thought. For something that's going to be a beautiful coffee table book, especially if you've got a place down on the peninsula yeah. or, you know, down that coast away, anywhere on the coast, in fact, it's, um, you know, that, I've actually got your previous book – um, right, that you yes. gifted to me from uh, one of the BFOP festivals. And, in fact, yeah. I was gifted one of Ken Duncan's books a couple of days ago from one of my students. Um, and you threw and Ken's in the bin after you saw it and you went, Tom, this is so much better than well, this. It was, very, it was a very different book. And um, oh, I've also on, got – Ken who? Ken who? Ken Duncan. Ken Duncan. Duncan. No, yeah. I've never heard of him. No, no. some weird bloke. Um, but oh, even, even, even weirder bloke, I've actually got um, Ken Blake's um, Tassie book on Cam our coffee Blake. table as well. What a tosser, and, seriously. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but, 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 but when he sells books so cheap, I mean, you know, they're good for propping open doors. They're good for chopping boards when, when they're all in the dirty. Um, no. I love that. <laughs> but he, um, <laughs> no, he, actually, sorry. He's be, the windows. Have you yeah. seen the, do you remember when the iPad first came out? Yes, I had right. two of them. Yes. Do you do you remember the ad that they that someone brought out? It was quite hilarious. Um, it was, I think oh, it was a God. spoof ad, but um, yes. they gift this iPad to like an older parent, and right. it's this young person gifting it, saying, "Yeah, it's like the newspaper, but it's digital." 
And then he kind of <laughs> got this puzzled looking face. Yeah. And anyway, then it, it cuts over to the next sort of scene and he's sitting there in the kitchen chopping something up and there's this blowfly lands on the bench. So he picks the iPad up and just smashes it on the bench. Sort of fly with a newspaper. And just, yeah, yes, so anyway. correct. But, yes, that's clever. Yeah, but you know what? I'm, so I've never, ever had photo books in our house. Um not for I've, I've been gifted a few over time i've actually got Ooh. i do have one from um melbourne the, who's a melbourne photographer matt someone um matt Irwin. Matt Irwin, um yeah, i've been gifted great. that one i've got a few of them but the yeah. thing is i'm not a books person generally so right. um yeah fair but anyway the, since I, i've I had these be, i won't be sending you a copy of mine then that's fine but i have been um i've been recently i've had them on the desk and maybe or not the desk sorry the, the coffee table at the back and i think probably because of lockdown a little bit but I've noticed that I think at the start I was hesitant to look through books too much because I almost found I mimicked what was in them. You know, like I get yes. excited about going, oh, wow, that looks yeah. awesome. I'll try that. And then I'd find that I get really excited and then I'd be just copying someone, which I think is not a bad idea to learn stuff. But yeah. I think, it, when it, you know, I'd like to think where I'm at, I shouldn't be copying someone. I should be taking some inspiration and turning it to my own, which I wasn't doing. Um, oh, my God. We need to make that today's topic. We can transition <laughs> No, no, seriously. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. All right. We're going to – this is great. Tell me you read Mary Kondo's book for nothing now. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't read Mary Kondo's book. What do you, what do you expect? Um, no, because it, there's, there's a, it, it, I, I have a confession to make, and it's totally related to this topic. This, this format, the format of the book that I just printed, is actually being inspired by another photographer. Oh. Now, does he does he work three shops down? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he's yet to publish a book, as far oh. as I know, and I don't know why he hasn't. You know, he he. It's I look from a commercial point of view. It's if you have the vehicle in which to distribute, like a marketing channel, let's call it that, to distribute the product and a, obviously a large enough market to sell the number of books that you need to print. It it can be a great money spinner. It's, yeah, right. Uh, I won't tell you how much exactly we'll end up making out of this book, but um, we're ordering two thousand copies, and and the more copies you order, you've generally got to order at least five hundred. And we're talking about a commercial offset, you know, book. We're not talking about a one-off that you order through, you know, Snap Chat, Snapfish, or or Blurb, or what have you. Um, we're talking of Snapchat. Snapchat, yeah. I was going to say it's got it's all your photos have got Snapchat, like a filter over them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've got um, a cat we're in them. About, right, we want to. We, we know that there's a market for at least 500 copies, so therefore we're going to print this now. Um, bookshops have sort of disappeared, and and it's harder and harder to get your books in there, and they of course want to take their cut. So for me personally, having a gallery, it means it's a great vehicle in which for me to hopefully uh, sell 2,000 of these copies. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why more photographers who perhaps own their own galleries don't do it because they've got a great collection of images and um, they sure, they need to find the money in the first place to print the thing. That's what, what you've got to come up with, obviously the cost price. But then after that, if you can sell enough copies, it can, um, it can be a, a good money spinner. I feel now, like the this- tricky thing is the expertise. Like you mentioned expertise and I've actually got – one of my students is a publisher right. and um, I went to one of his conference seminar things and it is – it's quite expensive, but it's not just expensive. You do need to have a publisher, don't you, though? Like, you need to know no, someone. You no, you or you need to surely need to know enough because you don't have to have, like, ISBN yeah, numbers and all sorts of crap that, well, like, most you can, people you can, like, source, you can source all that yourself. So oh. that's why I work with my good friend Ian Wallace, and I'll give him a huge plug because this is our now um, five, six, 11th book that we've worked on together. And he 
guides you through all that. He's done 50 books himself. Now, they're not his own books. He's actually published a few of his own books with his own photos in them and and gone through finding distributors, etc. But he actually does this as part of his business now, which is publishing other photographers' books. And what that involves is... Let, let me take you through the process of this book. I decided that I wanted to do a new book. We sold out of that other book that you mentioned earlier, the first Mornings Peninsula book. So we said, look, that's been great for us. Everyone's coming into the gallery still asking whether it's available. Clearly, we need to fill a gap. We decided that we wouldn't reprint that previous book, that perhaps there was some new fresh images we can put into it. And again, we, we decided that we'd go for a different spin. So I set myself the goal of actually shooting that book only over four weeks because I knew that I only had a limited time period given the fact that the book was about summer on the morning to peninsula. And sure, summer extends beyond you know the, the four weeks over January, the school holidays, but then everyone tends to go home, obviously. So mm. it won't have people packed on the beaches and they're the shot, sorts of shots I wanted. So I said, right, I'm only going to give myself a four-week window to shoot this book. I didn't have a certain number of images that I wanted, for example. I just thought I'll just shoot, shoot, shoot and see what I come up with. And then I've taught myself over the years Adobe InDesign, which is, you know, yeah, their love that product. And, and it's really not that difficult to use. If you're used to using Photoshop, it's hard to get your head around because everything in InDesign needs to basically go in a box, whether it be text or images. Again, Ian can, and anybody else could, who knows InDesign, could make up templates for you. So you can yeah. say, I want to have a double page spread, I want to have a single shot on one page and a blank page on the other. They can make all those up for you depending on what you want. And then you simply just sort of drop and drag almost the mm. photos into the template um, put a caption on each of the photos or write whatever you want, uh, put, a, put them in a certain page order, send it off to Ian, and I'm, I'm simplifying this, of course, send it off to him. He'll check it so that it's ready to go onto the press, and that's a critical part of it because you're converting the images from RGB to CMYK, which means that they need to be corrected sometimes because it can't – sometimes it's not a simple conversion. Sometimes the, the blacks don't turn out black or the reds don't turn out as red as you want, things like that. Um, he's checking what's called ink levels as well. So you can't have too much saturation in your pictures because otherwise when it's going through the press, the ink hasn't dried on the paper and it will smudge. Ooh. And that doesn't look great. So That's obviously he checks those things and then uh, and then he sends it off to press and it goes off to China. Now we have to print in China because of the cost and the economics and I'm not willing to go into any sort of argument about, you know, shouldn't we print in Australia versus China and support local industry? Well, it's just not it's it's not cost effective to print here in Australia. This book would cost me in order of two to three times more to print here in Australia than it does overseas. And, so, and also, like, let's let's also just, um, without getting political on this, because I don't think, but realistically, I think that falls into a lot of different categories at the moment. There's a lot of people talking about this whole, everything needs to be local. Yep, great. But let's not forget that the little plastic clips that aren't made in Australia that we use for desks and benches and or, or yeah. anything, it, yeah. it, it's got to come from somewhere. <laughs> and it, we don't make yeah. a lot of stuff here. So, like, let's not, yeah, I, I don't, I don't no. think you can disagree with what you've just said. Yeah, I'd like to support local industry wherever I can, but I, I'm with you. You know, the clothes most of us wear don't come from Australia. You yeah. know, um, the tangenting, that we tangenting. Drive, we're tangenting. Sorry, Tom. We're tangenting. Come from Australia. So, Ian, does yeah, Ian Watts come from Australia? 
he does his best down in Tassie. Well, I sort of feel like you're doing you're doing your bit there, aren't you? I mean, Tassie needs all the help it can get. I mean, geez. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, Cam, Cam lives there, and yeah, true. <laughs> a lot of great photographers live there, and I can see why because it's such a beautiful part of the world. But also, too, the weather. Yeah. You can get snow any time of year. You can get, you know, stormy conditions, things like that. So you don't have those long, hot, dry summers that, you know, Perth has, for example, or mm. a dry season like Darwin and the Kimberley have. Or a no seasons really like Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> no four seasons. The inspiration for this for, for the format of this book came from a good friend of mine, Christian Fletcher, who has published uh, many books in his day, God bless him, and he does a brilliant job at it. And he and one of his books that I saw went. I went. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that's a great format. I'd like to do something similar. So, I did that. And and you know that's just inspiration. So, I think there's a difference between imitation and inspiration, or let's say copying versus inspiration. It's difficult. Just as a generalization or a blanket rule, it's difficult to get. I think anything these days that is not necessarily been done in some way shape or form before so therefore if if you're looking at somebody's photographs and going oh that looks very similar to x y or z i think you're drawing a pretty long bow if you're going to start accusing that person of copying somebody else uh, and i've got a question with for you tom would you agree that most aerial photographs are relatively two-dimensional because you're shooting down so from a depth perspective that you're usually shooting at almost a flat lay not two dimensional mm-hmm. as in like in a bad way, yeah. but like the you know the depth in them is not massive yes. depth. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah. Why? Well, I'm why just thinking ask? that maybe it's you like could maybe you could reframe the way you're talking about your book a little bit to make it unique. I'm thinking you could have the world's very very first aerial photography pop up book. <laughs> right. Where it doesn't need to pop up because there's no real depth in it. So um, that would just be a new whole new genre that you could you could put this under. Every, every page could be embossed. Do you know what embossed means? I do, but I was thinking that sounds like a lot of effort. I'd just do it as it is and just change the name and say, yeah, it's a it's a it's, a, it's an aerial photography pop up book. And then when people it, say it, it doesn't pop up and go, well, it does. That's what it looks like from up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh god I, I, yeah i'm not sure that's gonna fly but anyway look you just workshop that and get back to me if you come up with any more suggestions on that didn't you used to love those pop-up books as kids um yes and no really yeah i love them they're brilliant they're so clever whoever thought of that is a genius i felt like they were incomplete how do you like, mean so I really love 3D. I did 3D animation at, I'm going to call it in inverted commas, university. Definitely wasn't nice. university. Um, uh, and I love 3D animation. Had, where you had eight contact hours a week. Yeah, basically. And, <laughs> um, and I love 3D stuff. So I get, yeah. I get a real kick out of like moving image and things because, it you know. But um, I found with, with, um, with pop-up books, you know, you open them and if you look at them from the right angle, you're like, holy crap, that's amazing. But then it doesn't take very much head movement to smash the illusion of that 3D. You know, you can suddenly see that behind. So I kind of love the concept, but I'd always be Mm. a little bit like, you know, my imagination wants to be like, I wish you could open it and it was like a proper 3D build, you know, of that thing, you know, like hologram style. Um, And I know that's probably just me asking for a lot, but, you know, get on it. (laughs) That's it. Where did the innovation stop? If Matt and I don't run with it, you guys need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Have you ever been accused of copying 
somebody else's work? I don't think I have a good enough or big enough name to for someone to bother accusing me of <laughs> copying them. To be honest, like I, I don't really like. To be honest, I don't really publish anywhere. It's only Matt Well, even worse, they probably just never saw it in the first place. So. Oh, um, I don't Fair know enough. that I've ever put my photos in a, in a position where – not that I think I have copied anyone or I don't think anyone – because, I mean, the other thing is my genres that I generally shoot, um, if I look yeah. at the stuff that I would publish, you know, and go, hey, this is a Matt Crummins photograph as opposed to, you know, here is, you know, some shots I took in the city, like that I might use for a workshop or something. Yeah. Um, Obviously, there's going to be lots of crossover when you look at shots around town or um, I've got a few shots from um, overseas where, you know, there's often, um, I'm going to call them also like, almost like professional models in like Southeast Asian countries. That, you know, the same guy tends to pop up in every single person's photo. Um, I've, I've obviously got a lot of those photos of people like that where I kind of go, that was an amazing experience. And then I get home and I'm like, oh, wow, everyone had that experience. Oh, that guy did ask for two bucks. Oh, geez, he's actually got a Ferrari. He, you know, he's doing pretty well for himself. Um, I've, I've definitely got some of those shots. But I think for me, I do a lot of wildlife yeah. um, and underwater. And I think underwater and wildlife, because it's such a dynamic scene, it is actually yeah. incredibly hard to copy. Um, you can go stylistically, you could copy, but because there's so many differences between those two situations, you know, like the behavior, the actual mm. animal itself, the background, the lighting. Um, it is incredibly hard to sort of copy someone's shot. Yep. Um, yep. And so it would probably be more effort to actually replicate it. That said, um, you know, I have no doubt that if I look through my catalog and, you know, I don't really look at a lot of other people's work. As I said before, I kind of find when I, when I focus in and look at too many other professional photographers, it either makes me depressed because I'm not doing that um, or, yeah, right. or I find that I kind of go, oh, yeah, I love that idea. And then I try and sort of replicate it um, yeah, and yeah. either don't succeed at replicating it or in terms of that style, I realize it's actually sort of deviating off what I'm supposed to be focusing on. And right. I mean, we do, yeah, we right. do it for work. Yeah, so, I think it's important. It's yourself. Yeah. yeah, that's it. And it's easy to yeah. get excited about new things and bored of the old things. But yes, um, one thing I'm very much learning and probably more so over the last two years than, than ever is that, um, you know, I think getting good or, you know, recognized in photography is a little bit like sort of it like um, fame and, and weight loss. You know, they, they, <laughs> if, if, you, if you blow up overnight, you'll disappear overnight. Yeah. Um, and if you, if you have this yeah, endurance true. about it and you do it over a long period of time and build up a very solid but maybe not explosive growth, um, mm. I think that you, you build reputation and that's where people, you yeah. know, like I look at, you know, Ken Duncan's book's a great example, yeah. right? Yeah. I, like, he, I think he's a fantastic photographer. I don't know the guy. I know that you've met him and, and you know him and stuff, but I, I don't know him at all. So, I'm not commenting on anything about him, just purely his photography. Stunning mm. photographs, right? But I also look at them and there are some photos that he takes that I go, that is still an absolutely stunning photograph. However... I don't know that it's not a photograph that I couldn't or haven't taken something similar. Not in all that's, cases. There are definitely yeah. things I go, wow, geez, that's just so awesome and unique. But yeah, especially yeah. some of his, um, the one that I've, the book that I've got, I can't remember the name of it, but it's quite thick and it's, it's like an Australia series as always from him. And yeah, there's yeah. a couple around Ormus and Gorge. Right. And Ormus and Gorge is, is beautiful. It's up near Alice Springs um, on the Red Centre Way. Beautiful yeah. spot, but it is very hard to get something unique out of it. Like there's only a it few is. spots you can stand because it's quite narrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the shot he's got, I don't think the lighting's any different to any other day. Um, I think it made the cut in the book because it's one of those locations that people recognise and it's very, very cool. But yeah. the photo itself's not, you know, in incredible. Um, yeah. in, in, you know, or when I say incredible, yeah, it's not incredible. It's not unbelievable. No, no, no. It's not like, oh, my gosh. And that's yeah. so... 
Um, I can't remember what I'm going with that. Perhaps, but, <laughs> perhaps he's, he's, he's included that because it's representative of the location as opposed to I'm showing off my skills as a photographer. Oh, no, and that's exactly what I mean. I, I guess what yeah. I, I, on track where I was going was like um, when I look at his work, Yes, he's got some spectacular pieces, but a lot of pieces as well are things that I think are, yeah, they are representative of that area and he's showing a story here, not just yep. showing off skill. Yep. Um, and I I feel as though that if he published something on Instagram with some of these shots that didn't have his name on them, yep. they would be, yeah, that's really lovely, cool shot, wish I could be there sort of thing. You put Ken yeah. Duncan's name to it and suddenly it's, it's elevated. Yes. And so yep. – um, I think that that's a, that is the result of years and years and years of hard work and perseverance um, and building reputation. Whereas I look at some of today's shots on Instagram and I go, oh, my God, that's freaking amazing. Yeah. But ask me three seconds later whose photo it was. i got no idea. I've never heard of them before and likely I'll never hear of them again, you know. Um, they're sort of that one-trick pony or, or one-shot wonder. And I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm starting to realize now that in order to get really good um, – you, you do need to be a bit true to yourself to create something and create that bit of legacy there. And I think that um, in terms of copying other people's stuff, when you're starting out, absolutely amazing. Very well worth um, that because you, you learn a lot. But when you get to the point where you might maybe not learning things technically about settings and stuff anymore, you kind of got that under your belt and composition principles are already, you know, you got them there. You sort of know how to edit your shots. Suddenly, I think sometimes looking at other people's work, um, I'm not sure – Unless you're feeling flat, you're in a rut. I don't really know how much it adds. You know, like I found that, as I was saying, with these coffee table books that I've got now, um, through lockdown, I got really sort of despondent about my own photography because what I do is very much outdoors, out in the travel and stuff like that. I'm thinking I'm never going to do that again. Like, I don't know. I just got this this feeling <laughs> yeah. like the whole world collapsed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, right. But looking at, you know, even Cam's book from Tassie, like I was in Tassie just before lockdowns and um, looking at his book, I was like, oh, yeah, that's still there. And it's actually, that's not too far away. And like I started looking at going, oh, I know these places. Actually, yeah, that would be a really cool shot. And it, it did provide some inspiration. But I think yeah. when, when you're in full flight as a photographer, sometimes those things can you know, look at other people's work and they, they, they drag you in a direction that might not be your direction. Yeah, 100%. I totally hear where you're coming from. You've made some really good points there and I, I resonate with a lot of those because I, I am a photographer. I've got a photographic memory and I used to consume a hell of a lot of photos in a sense that I was always looking for inspiration everywhere. And then sometimes, as you said, you're not shooting what is true to you so you're trying to copy or imitate or you're inspired by somebody else's work and yet really it's not your own in a sense yeah. that you're not really um, connecting with it. So, therefore, it's not a true expression of, of your creativity. Or or you're, like, inspired by it so much that when you get to the location, for example, you can't see anything but that same photograph. And yeah. it's hard for you to find your own slant on it. I, I had a classic example, and it's funny you mentioned Ken Duncan because one of the first landscape photography books I did was 10 years ago on the Cradle Mountain Lake Sinclair National Park. Beautiful. And I walked the overland track for the second time to, to get some more images for this little coffee table book we put together. Souvenir book, I think you'd call it more than anything else. It was only about A5 in size. But we got to a really difficult spot um, called the Labyrinth, which is at the southern end of the National Park. And the one of the f most memorable images I have of Ken's is a beautiful shot from that location where Mount Geryon in the background and the Duquesne Range is reflected in the water, and he's got cool. this beautiful, just intense red colour in the in the um, in the 
landscape. Some, uh, and I walked into his gallery for the first time many years ago in Southbank and saw this photo on the wall and I'd only just got back from walking the Overland Track for the first time. I went, oh, my God, Tassie, like Overland Track, where in the hell is that? I never saw that. So I was always, always inspired to want to get back there. And when I did get there to shoot my version of the same picture, I hunted everywhere I could for a, a different spot other than where Ken had taken his shot from. Yeah. It's very, it's very um, limited where you can take the shots from, uh, just getting access to the edge of the lake, right? It's a lot of bushes and shrubs. I couldn't find it. And, and ashamedly, I, ha- I had to stand in the same spot and almost shoot the, the almost identical picture, um, which frustrated me. But by the same token, I was obviously pleased to be there and, and capture an image for myself. But um, I really did feel like I was cheating myself there. That's for sure. I almost feel like I've got a topic for next week based on that, actually. Go on. But we need to write it down because so that when it gets to Tuesday <laughs> next week, we're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We had a topic and we mentioned it in the last podcast. So you can just you can, you can say no to this one. But I'd like to talk about um, exactly what you just said. So you said there's only really one spot you can stand to take the photo um, in some locations. And I think that's definitely true of Victoria, especially as we open up and people are going to do a lot of sort of local travel. Um, yeah. Parks Victoria is amazing at at doing um, walking tracks, boardwalks, platforms, things like that. I think from a tourist perspective, you know, I think they do a pretty cracking job. From a photographer's perspective, you know, I wish they had a few more photographers on their planning board because often the board the boardwalk that you get stuck on is like it's great to see it, but it's definitely not conducive to shooting it. Yeah, and I see yeah. a lot of photographers, and I'm going to I'm going to not throw anyone under the bus. It's definitely not, no, not talking about no, not talking <laughs> certainly not talking about Tom here or myself. Um, oh. uh, no, I'm saying that because I don't I'm not, I don't want people to think like I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, Tom. Um, definitely oh, not talking right, about you okay. in this case. Although you I'm might you might right, okay. you know you I might have it. some more information on this for next week. But ooh, ooh. Um, oh, this is where I'm going to get myself in trouble. <laughs> I want to know how you feel, right? Um, and maybe some example stories about getting to locations and people breaking what they seem to what they might consider to be oh. petty rules oh. to get the shot oh i love i without, love I without love maybe consideration topic. for um you know i guess the big picture and i'll give you the i'll just give you i know we're going to talk about this next week now teaser. but i want to give you the teaser. the teaser yeah. right so oh. i was in indonesia last year uh, a couple of times um and we went to lake kelamutu which is this massive crater lake and uh a few people have fallen off the crater's edge into the volcano, um, and Jesus. it's it's a it's a water it's a water like a pondage now, so it's massive. That's, that's, but, that's what it is. Yeah. Well, it's the thing is, it's also crater. like a probably a two hundred meter drop. So, um, you know, is yes, that the they mine the sulfur out of it. Uh, no, no, no. This one's um, oh, okay. this one's the cha- These lakes change color depending on the time of the year. Um, so it's not an active volcano, but um, I think it's quite active as a site, like a volcanic site. And um, but anyway, you can go right up there. You watch sunrise. It's absolutely amazing. Like it's seriously spectacular. But what they've had to do is they had to put like a um, a platform up the top with a rail around it, right? But the rail's probably six or seven meters back from the edge of the crater because there's an undercut on it as well. Like the cliffs kind of undercut. So obviously, if you get too close to the edge, the cliff can collapse as well. And, of course, there's one dude up there patrolling the whole place and he's just a bag of laughs who loves money in his pockets. So, um, people would go up there and you're taking these sunrise, everyone's being really respectful and all of a sudden that, you know, guppy person decides they want a photograph of themselves doing star jumps on the edge of the lip. 
so they're in their you know in all their yoga gear and stuff so they're all dressed up for their instagram yeah. shop I'm and, they're in their active wear place active wear. Like, and they go down to the crater's edge and they start doing that. these jet star jumps you know like the hands in the air and stuff like that and yeah. they're no joke within a meter of this cliff edge which goes oh down straight sheer cliff 200 meters and people taking these shots and the worst part is that it's the dude who's patrolling it is like you know tells them occasionally oh guys go back now and then they don't and then that's fine um the worst part is that the um this is quite a strict rule on the signage right but then the tourism commission starts sharing the photos of these people doing it and you're like hold on this is a mixed message and to me it's not just about the fact that they nearly died because if they did that i wouldn't be super sad but it's about how much it ruins the experience for everyone else because you're sitting there trying to be good behind the railing um, or if you look at sort of local in Victoria, maybe it's the waterfalls. You, you're standing on the boardwalk and, yes, you could jump the fence and jump in there, but if everyone did that, we might ruin that environment. So I want to mm. talk about for people, especially as we get out more, you know, what rules, you know, why are the rules there? And as a photographer, do you think you're exempt from those rules ever? I think, I think what and, you're going to uh, do is you're going to encourage people to break the rules next week and I think that's just highly irresponsible, Matthew. Well, I guess they'll have, have to tune in and find out, won't they? <laughs> Well, on that note, that sounds like a brilliant topic and I can't wait for that next week. I, w- I wish we could keep going. We should we should be doing back-to-back podcasts. Oh, because double episode. Boom. Double episode. <laughs> Reminds me of the band that Mary was in when she was an accountant. It was called Double Entry, but let's not go there. That, it's yeah, probably term. not. It's an accounting term, she tells me. Yeah, it's, well, it doesn't sound like. Yeah. <laughs> on that note. Bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to yet another episode of Matt and Tom's excellent podcast. And we'll uh, catch you on the flip side. See you later, guys. Bye. (laughs) 